0: So uh, I'm just going to read something. It's not coming up on the screen, but just kind of an exercise, something to kind of get us going this morning. It says, uh, in your mind's eye, I want you to see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel or parking the car, and getting out. And as you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, as well as the joy of having known. And that radiates from the hearts of the people there. And as you walk down to the front of the room, you look inside the casket, because that's the kind of funeral this is. You suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. And all these people that have come to honor you and express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. And as you take a seat, you realize there's going to be four speakers. One's going to speak from your family. One's going to speak maybe from your church, something you've given your life to. Someone's going to speak, maybe a friend can kind of share about some of the accolades, kind of how you impress people. You're going to have these speakers that come up. Somebody is going to share about you. And the question is, is what will they share? What kind of husband or wife or father or mother would you like your words their words to reflect? And what kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what kind of achievements would you want them to remember? Now, look carefully at the people around you, and what difference would you like to have made in their lives? And when I say that, I'm talking about the people that you came to church with today. What difference would you like them to make in your lives? See, this is from a book called Seven Highly Effective Habits by Stephen Covey. And if you've read it, it's the second habit, and it's talking about beginning with the end in mind, with a little bit of my paraphrase in there. And it's, it's moments like this that we kind of maybe, we think about the funeral, we think about the end of our lives that we start asking questions that maybe you could say are really profound, really deep. And we start, we start kind of questioning the meaning. Like, what is my purpose? What have I been pouring myself into? What decisions have I made to this day, right now, to get to here? Like, we start asking everything because we start thinking about the end. We start thinking about death. And, And the truth is that why does death bring out so many deep questions in us about our purpose? Because the truth is that death is inevitable. We're all going there. You can bet on it. Everyone in this room will experience death. Now, I know that's not the Easter message you came for, (laughs) but it's the truth. It's the truth. And I think that's such an important thing for us to remember because we live lives where we, we just kind of go and go, I, yeah, death is somewhere down the road. Death is somewhere in the future. That's not today. It's, it's, it's not tomorrow. It, it, it's somewhere. And when we think about our funeral, when we think about we got three years left to live and this is our funeral, that, that changes the way that we make decisions. It changes so much. And if I could just be honest with you, today we're talking about death. Today we're talking about a funeral scene. And it is, this funeral, it's all over the place. It's a mess as we come into the scripture today. We got Jesus and he's showing up late. Like he didn't get the memo to be there on time. He's going to come in. He's one of the speakers and his words are not always the most comforting. Right? And there's people mourning. They're weeping and they're wailing. And Jesus comes in in the midst of all this tension. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm here now. Right? It's like, who invited you to come so late? And so that's what we come into today. We enter into a funeral scene. So let's, let's read the scripture together this morning. In John 11, it says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in his grave for four days. See, we're coming on the scene where the man that's dead is Lazarus. He has two sisters, Mary and Martha, right? And what you need to understand about this this morning is that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are family, and not just any family, but they're a family that Jesus has spent time with. Jesus has had meals with. When Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would probably stay at their house. And so these aren't just acquaintances; these aren't just these are friends that they've had intimate moments. They've shared, you know, sitting around that fire. When you're out camping in the woods and you're having a deep conversation and the smoke's coming up. Maybe you don't camp. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe it's sitting at the table late into the evening. And you're sitting there over a glass of wine or whatever your drink of choice is. And you're talking about the things that really matter. Like that's the relationship we have here between Jesus and this family. These aren't just some far off people. And so Jesus finds out that one of his friends has been dead, and he shows up on the scene. He shows up on the scene. But more than importantly, when he hears the news, he shows up late. He doesn't leave his place for two days, it says. And so we find out that Bethany is only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem where where Lazarus is dead at. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And so this is the scene Jesus walks into. I think it's a really, like, you could say it's intense. It's, there's a lot going on. But the writer, what he's trying to tell us is that the death happened four days ago. And for us, we go, okay, that doesn't necessarily do a lot. But we need to understand the context in which this is written. Four days would have meant two really significant things going on. One thing, in the Jewish belief at the time, people showing up at this moment they believed that the body wasn't actually, the person wasn't actually dead until after three days because they believed that the soul of a person would stay near trying to reenter the body. But after the third day, it's like, nope, no more. They're officially dead. And so John, our writer today is trying to tell us, hey, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is not coming back to life. No one's gonna resuscitate him. He is dead. And then the other point I'm trying to make is, and this is such an important one today, is that the, the grieving process in Eastern culture over here where we're entering into is a week long. This funeral is not two hours with some cake and some coffee and some celebration of life. Stuff. No, it's a week long. And they're mourning and they're crying and they're, they're hysterical because they let, they, they let the pain enter in. They mourn, they cry. Someone is gone from their lives, their memories, those moments at the table in those nights, those hard conversations, all that stuff. And so they're they're mourning together as a community. They have friends and family coming who are crying with them, not for just an hour and a half, but for a week. And Jesus comes in on the fourth day. So it's like, Jesus, you're coming in on the middle of this. People have been crying. People have been wailing. Emotions are intense. Martha and Mary, like they know it's over. Everyone's wrestling with everything that's going on. And we see this also. Jesus enters into the scene and Martha catches word of it. Let's look look at it. It says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord... It only if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I just want you to see those words. Lord, if you'd have been here, like if you would have showed up, if you would have been on time, this wouldn't have happened. She's in the midst of mourning. She's in the midst of pain. And she's looking at Jesus going, if you would have been here. And then she does what us... I'm just going to be honest with you. Church people do. We go, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's like she tries to suppress the pain. She tries to kind of like bury it and put it down as if like that's the right answer. Like, okay, God, if only you would have been here. But I know that God, and I know, I know that you'll get whatever you ask for. That God will give that to you. Like that's how we approach God sometimes. We go to him and we give him, we give him the answer that we think he wants. But yet, there's pain in that response. There's pain in the fact that Jesus is late. Has Jesus ever been late in your life? Has Jesus ever delayed? Right? Have you ever had a moment where you want Jesus to show up and it's like, okay, uh, I was hoping this was that moment, Jesus. Like, I kind of put a lot of faith behind this. I told family. I told friends. I I told a lot of people. That this is what you were calling me to do, or this is what I was believing you were going to do, and you didn't show up, and you're behind, or you didn't answer the way I wanted you to. And so John, the writer today, is really trying to get us to understand the timing and to let us in the room enter into the story, understanding that sometimes it feels like God's not working, on our time schedule. And I know that all of us have moments in our lives where it's felt like that, but I would say this past year has felt like that sometimes. It's like, are you, God, do you know that like COVID's going on? Like, God, do you know, like, we're, like, people are hurting right now? Like, where are you? And we think sometimes that we can't ask God those questions, but I'm going to tell you something. I want to give you permission to do that today. I want to give you permission that God can handle it. God can take whatever you want to give him, whatever you want to say, whatever is on your heart. God can take a cuss word every now and then. I promise you. Because he just wants you. He wants you to come to him just as you are. Not faking it, nothing else, just as you are. So go to him with your pain. Because it has been a painful year and some of you it's been a painful lots of years and you need to go to him just as you are I want to Jesus told her your brother will rise again Yeah. yes Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day you know it's, uh, it's, it's the right belief the Jews believe that everyone would rise on the last day they all believe that it's, it's the right belief, but it's incomplete. It's incomplete. She's wrestling with it. She's like, I know the right answer. I know what you're going to do, but I, I, it still doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make the pain go away. And so then Jesus comes in and he responds with this next answer. He says, Jesus, sir, I am the resurrection and the life, Right? Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is, this is another transition. You don't, you don't have to wait for the end. I'm right now. See, can you go back two slides for me? I just, I just want to point something out here. Thank you. He will rise when everyone rises at the last day. I want to point something out here just for a moment before I go back to that translation. A lot of times in our faith, in our journey of walking with Jesus, we think that our faith is like a pass to heaven at the end of time. Like, that's what we do. Like, I'm going to put my faith. I'm going to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I'm going to believe these things. And then I'll just wait till the end of time when we all go to heaven. And sometimes we think our faith, we we come to our faith with a very narrow mind in the fact that it only matters at the end. Because how does Jesus really come and apply to my life today? And so Martha's like looking at the end like, yeah, I hurt now, right? I hurt right now, Jesus, but I need, (laughs) but I know in the end it'll all be okay. And and we do the same thing. So now go back to my, the slide you were just on. He says, you don't have to wait for the end. Like, that, that's what he's trying to tell them. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Like, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us, right? I am right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? We've been focusing on Jesus' timing, and now I want to focus on Jesus' words. He's going, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is making two points in that. Jesus is going, resurrection is not just an event, but it's a person. And that person is standing right in front of you, Martha. It's not just an event. It's in a person. It's me. I am the resurrection. And then he says, I am the life. And he said, I give life to everything. I give life to everything. And when you believe in me and when you call me your savior, I will give you life. I will give you eternal life. Now, for some of you in the room, you might be looking at that and, and, and you're going, I am the resurrection and the life. Some people are fired up. Some people are like, man, I don't even know what that means. Even though you just explained to Taylor, how does that even come and apply to my life today? How does that even work right where I'm at? Because right now, I'm in pain. Right now, I'm hurting. Right now, nothing's changing. You're saying, I'm supposed to wait till death, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm right now. What does that even mean? Like, what does that mean? Now, I want to translate this for you in a way that all of us can maybe comprehend and understand. Because the truth is, is a lot of us live life with the fear of death. That's what we all do. We all are afraid of death. I'm afraid to die. We all do it. And so we make decisions. We make, mo- we, we come here today driving. None of us decided to go, hey, I'm going to turn into the oncoming traffic. None of us made that decision today. are like, no, I'm coming to church safely. None of us decided to go and hurt ourselves. Now, I know there's depression. I know there's anxiety. And if you are here with that right now, let me tell you something. God loves you. He's here with you. He's the reason you're still here. He's the reason you're still standing. He's the reason because he's still not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. He is still writing a story for you. And I know you're struggling and I know you're wrestling, but the truth is is that God is not finished. But none of us make a decision on purpose. We all make decisions every day to avoid death. We all do it. And therefore, you could say that we all are afraid to death to some to some degree, whether that be your life insurance policy, whether it be the way that you make decisions, whether that's where you take the safe side, you don't walk next to the cliff when you're going on hikes, whatever it is, we all make decisions at some point. Some of you are braver than others, I get that, but we're all afraid of death. And so therefore, we all live with an avoidance mentality, we all live avoiding things in life, mainly avoiding death. And then let's, let's go beyond that because some of us have been hurt by people. Some of us have been in moments where we felt abused, moments where we felt taken advantage of, moments where we feel like, God, I don't want to even go around them anymore. And what we do is we spend days and we spend months and we spend years avoiding that person as if that's really living. Living. And then all of a sudden, maybe, maybe you have a traumatic experience in your life. Like you've been hurt, you've been wounded, you've been something has happened in your life. And so now you avoid anything that symbolizes it. Anything that maybe brings it to mind. And so all of a sudden, what we all find in our lives is we are living lives of avoidance. Death being the ultimate one, but hurt. And pain and all these things we are trying to avoid, which is why in Western culture we don't mourn for seven days because we like to keep it sterile. We like to keep it on the surface. It's like an hour and a half max. It ends with cake and coffee, not decaf. Like that's what we do, right? Because we don't wanna feel the pain. We do everything we can in life to avoid it. And that's not living. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, let me tell you something. I'm the author of life. I am the resurrection in the life. You do not need to fear death. You don't need it. You don't need to fear it. You don't need to make decisions of avoidance anymore. You don't need to do that because when you put your faith in me, when you trust me, when you surrender it, I promise you, you will live with me forever. And when you don't have to fear death, you don't have to fear day-by-day day moments of things that have been haunting you for years. Jesus says, I have given you freedom. I have given you life. You don't need to be afraid anymore. That person doesn't have control over you. I am resurrection. What you think is dead, I'm going to bring back. I'm the author of it all. Don't you understand that? I know you're hurting and I know you're broken and, and, and the pain that you're going through. But Jesus is trying to tell us something in his words. And if we're not too careful here within the church, these words can be numb. We can become numb when we hear them. and We can go, yeah, yeah, that's great. And Jesus going, no, I'm, try- I'm right now, Martha. I'm right now. I'm not at the end. I'll be there, but I'm right now as well. I'm in your pain. I'm in it all. And now that we've focused on his words, I want us to look at his actions because I think this is one of the most important things to catch today. So I said, yes, Lord, I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world from God. She's unwavering. Her faith is unwavering in the midst of pain. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't doesn't get any of it, but she's still claiming that Jesus is good, even in the midst of pain. That's a tough place to be. Some of you are there today. Some of you are wrestling with that. Keep going through the next slide here. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. And said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here we have Martha who came and said these words. And now Mary is coming and saying these words a few verses later. They both have the same response. They're both hurting. They're both in pain. Remember, I told you at the beginning of all this, like, you have to take your pain to Jesus. You have to take it to him. You have to be real with it. You cannot numb it anymore. Look what you're doing to the people around you when you numb your pain. We all do it different ways, and Jesus invites us in. He shows up on the seas. Says, "Lord, if only you had been here." And says, when she was, when he saw her weeping, this is this saw the other people welling with her. The whole everyone's crying. Remember, a deep anger welled up within him. Jesus gets mad. He's he's mad now, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Come and see. Like Jesus is mad. He's frustrated. Like all of a sudden, everyone else has been in their emotions. Now we're seeing Jesus kind of, the emotions are coming out of him. And he's frustrated and he's mad. and, And a lot of us go, well, what is he mad about? And what we believe is that he's just mad at death. He's mad at the pain and the sorrow that death brings, the heartache, the trauma, all those things that it causes. He's mad at it because he's the author of life. He's like, this is, my, this is my enemy here. And I'm frustrated in what it has come to do, and I do not like it. So he's mad. And then all of a sudden, if you like, if you know the stages of grief, he goes from like frustration to all of a sudden, which we see is the greatest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. He cries. He gets, I mean, he's hysterical. He's weeping. He's letting it all come loose. He's an ugly crier. That's what he's doing. It's like, Jesus comes into our pain. He comes into our circumstances. He comes into whatever we're going through. And he feels those emotions with us. Like, Do you you understand something? Jesus, look at his actions here. He comes in and he cries. And so you can look at your pain and you can look at these moments in your life and and you might be hurting right now. And I'm going to say something that God is crying with you. He is hurting with you. Jesus, like, some of us have this idea that Jesus is so mad and so frustrated with us, yet Jesus is sitting there going, like, putting his arm around us going, I love you. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sorry you feel alone right now. I'm sorry you lost that person. I know how much they meant to you. And Jesus is coming in, and he's, he's feeling with them, feeling with them. And we don't, we don't like that, right? Sometimes we're like, we avoid that, but when we get quiet and when we get alone and when we, and we just allow ourselves to maybe focus on the fact that Jesus is near, I believe those emotions come to the surface. And not only that, I believe that Jesus enters into those with us. He's heard their pain. He's like, tell me, give it to me. Give me, give me your pain. Give it to me. Just tell me what you're feeling. Doesn't matter. You don't know, give, give me a church response. Tell me what's really going on. And then Jesus then sits there and he cries with you. Like that is that is the Jesus we follow. That is the Jesus we worship. He is not far off and he does not it's not that he doesn't relate, he relates right there with us. That's what we see in the gospels As we see God in, in Jesus form, in human form, in Jesus relating to us, showing us what the Father is really like. And so we can go right over this whole wet thing and go, oh man, that's that's great. Jesus is crying, cool. Jesus slows down in the moment to embrace you right where you're at, the emotions you're feeling right in that moment. And I think that's such an important thing for us to remember. Now I wanna, I wanna go to this next verse because the question I think we're all left with here is, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Like, that's the question we were all sitting here wrestling That was the question we kind of started with. Like, why is God allowing the things in my life to happen? Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Couldn't he have? Like, maybe something to help you understand this a little bit is these guys have seen Jesus heal the blind man, Right? Jesus has done all kinds of things up to this point. And they're going, man, couldn't, couldn't he have just showed up and taken away the pain? Like, couldn't he have done that? Why didn't he show up when I wanted him to? Jesus has healed so much. And remember, Jesus has brought people back to life at this point, but not past three days. This person is dead. Now go back, stay there, stay there for a moment. This is the question that we will wrestle with the rest of our existence. Why did you allow that to happen? Why is this going on in my life? Why, God? And this is where we doubt, and this is where we wrestle. And I know we're celebrating resurrection, but I wanted to make a point today to sit in the moments before we experience the resurrection because that is where we live 90% of our lives is in the moments before resurrection the israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years we think following jesus is like man he should like everything should be good when i follow jesus and the truth is there's you have more seasons in the desert than anywhere else following jesus Because we're like, Jesus, if you would, let's just go back to the front of the story for a moment. Jesus hears the news. Lazarus is sick. Instead of waiting two days and delaying, Jesus shows up. He comes right on the scene. He goes, Lazarus, be well. Lazarus gets up. Boom. That's the story. Makes a good story. That's a great story. Jesus shows up when you need him most. It's like, that's the Jesus we all want. When I need Jesus, Jesus shows up. I know i got a mic in my hand, but if I was to rub a lamp, I'm like this, right? Like, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Jesus. i got three wishes, and this is one of them. And what we do when we treat Jesus like that is he is a transaction. He's not a relationship. He's not a person. Jesus becomes a transaction. When you go to the grocery store and you give the clerk $5, you expect that she's going to let you walk out with your bananas without being arrested right? She gives you the goods, you give her the money. There's not really much of a relationship there. You go, you go to Home Depot, you buy your lumber that's overpriced right now, and you go there and you give them that, and you're like, hey, let me walk out with my two-by-fours. And they let you do that. There's not much of a relationship there. It's a transaction, So when you call Jesus only in the moments where you need him and you expect him to show up, Jesus is no longer what he came to be, a person, a relationship in your life. He becomes a transaction. And our God is not a transactional God. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he wants what's best for you. But more than anything, he wants you to experience the pain with him. Because it's in the pain, it's in the hurt, it's in the moments where it's like, I don't know what you're doing, that God reveals himself. See, if we go back to the beginning of the story, this is what Jesus says. He says, in verse 4, you can get my next slide here. It says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will be received, will receive the glory from this. Now go another slide. Let's see what we would have missed out on if we just skipped the middle we would have missed Jesus' delayed timing, right? That's kind of what set the story off. We would have missed Jesus' words. We would have never heard, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then we would have never seen Jesus crying and weeping and being angry and mad. Like we miss all of this if it goes to the end. Jesus wants us to experience him at a deeper level. Like we want a transaction and we get frustrated and mad, but Jesus goes, no, 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 I want to take your belief to a deeper level. I know you know me as the healer. I know you know me as the light of the world. I know you know me as the bread of life. I know you've seen me heal cancer. I know you've seen me show up in this place in your life. I've I've healed that marriage. I know that. I've, I've helped you heal from that abuse. I've seen you do that. I have showed up, I have helped cure you from addiction, but do you believe that I can do this? Because I want to show you that. I want you to experience me. And experience comes in the pain. Experience comes in the moments where it's like, where are you, God? That's the moment God becomes real. And it hurts and it's tough. But God doesn't want you to miss out on experiencing him for everything that he is. Because the truth is, this life will come to an end. And the moment that we accept Jesus as our Savior and we believe in him, we enter into this relationship that goes beyond this body on this earth. That we were made to forever enjoy God and be in relationship with him. And this earth has pain, it has struggle, it has sin, it has so much involved in it that keeps, it feels like God far away. But that's why God sends his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to eliminate this gap of sin that has kept God away from us. And all we have to do to to allow that sin to be gone is to go, Jesus, I believe you are the resurrection and the life. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. And I could could sit up here and say a lot of things, and it might sound good or it might sound really bad, depending on how the day's going. But the truth is, he asked Martha this question, and he goes, Martha... It doesn't really matter what I say or what I do or my timing or any of this stuff. Like, I'm doing this intentionally to reveal myself. But the question really comes, do you believe this? Do you believe this? doesn't matter if I believe it. It doesn't matter if the person next to you believes it. Do you believe it? And I'd tell you, if you are still living a life where you are making decisions off avoidance, I'm not trying to question your salvation. That's not what I'm trying to do. But what I'm gonna tell you is if you're still living a life of avoidance, then you might not really be experiencing Jesus as the full resurrection in the life that he wants to be in your life. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. I'm just saying you're missing out and experiencing God for everything that he is, experiencing Jesus in his fullness. You think you've experienced Jesus, and I'll bet you he's up there going to you, and he's saying to you right now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because look what he's going to do. Let's read the rest of the story. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. We relate. We relate. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out in his hands and his feet. And the bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in head cloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I'm going to invite the worship team. You can come on up. I just want you to take a look at that for a moment. This is the tomb. This is a first century tomb. This is the one that Jesus would have been in. Not the tomb, but a tomb similar. You know, there's a really important part in the story that I want you, that we kind of skimmed over and as I read those last three slides to you. But Jesus says, hey, would you guys go roll that rock? Would you go roll that rock? Now... I don't know about you, but in my children's book, I always thought it was like this big boulder or something, you know, like that's what they make it out to be. Maybe children's books have come a long time now that I'm 30 years old. Um, But the the, the truth of this is, this is, this is the rock. And Jesus is going, hey, go roll it. So it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been just like, hey, some guy go up and roll it to the side. It's like, it it would take, I mean, that thing's heavy. That thing's massive. And he's telling him, go roll that away. Go roll that away. And, They're like, it's going to smell. It took action. It took faith. These two guys or three guys or four guys, whoever had to go up and roll this rock away, had to believe that God was going to do something, that Jesus was going to show up and and do something in that moment. It took action. It took action. Now, we can all walk away today and we can all go, man, that was was a great sermon. Some bad transitions, but man, that's a good sermon. And you can miss the point. I can miss the point. He's he's calling us to action. That's how our faith works. There's two guys, three guys, whoever it was, they had to go and roll that rock to see the miracle happen right before their eyes. Now God is calling you in your life to take a step of action. What rock do you need to roll? What rock do you need to roll in your life? to experience Jesus as the author of life, as the the resurrection. you got something that's dead? You got something that's been long gone and you're like, there's no way. Maybe he wants you to roll that rock. That rock represents a lot. That rock might represent fear. That rock might represent hurt. That rock might represent pain. It represents a lot of things for a lot of us. And we celebrate this on Easter. We celebrate that the tomb is empty, but I don't want you to miss the moments leading up to it. What action do you need to take? Faith works as you use it. You gotta use it. You gotta take that step. You gotta gotta take that step towards Jesus. That's what belief is. Belief is not you walk out of here and go, We're not going back to that church. No, faith is like, man, okay. How do I take a step towards Jesus? I don't know what he's doing. I hurt. I'm in pain. And I go, man, God is close then. God's real close. What step do you need to take? And so I'm going to invite you right now to your feet. If you're at home, stand. And stand. I'm gonna come back up, but I'm gonna let you think about that rock for a moment. I'm gonna let you think about that rock, but I'm coming back up and I'm gonna invite you to take a step. I'm gonna invite you to have action in your life. Because action, putting a stake in the ground, that's real, that's tangible, that's something you can can say, man, I made a decision today. People make decisions every new year that don't last. I want you to make a decision today that's eternal. So I want you to worship and I want you to, I want you to sing and respond. And you may not be like, I don't get this whole song thing. I'm going to tell you all you have to do is just focus on the fact that Jesus is near right now. And I want you to focus on that. And I'll come back up. And I'm going to invite you to take that step with me.